I'm Father Dennis Strack. And I'm Katie Prejean McGrady. And this is Ave Spotlight. Father Dennis, Katie. How are you? This new house, like office, was kind of a mess, move things around, so I apologize. Mm. Did, did y'all move? Y'all moved to a new home? We moved, and then Jenna's in the hospital a couple hours later for the baby coming a little early. So really? Oh, my. Because, yeah, we were, I think papers. she was due at the same time I am. Yeah, pretty much. God love her. How's Bennett yeah. doing? Is he's it Bennett good. or Beckett? I'm sorry. Bennett. 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 It is Bennett. Okay. How's yeah, he doing? Blessing. He's doing good. Everybody's He's back home. He's good. We, the in-laws are here helping out a little bit, too, and you know, he's got lots of love with his older sisters, so things are good. Awesome. Well, Jared, thanks for, for joining us today on Ave Spotlight. We're, we're excited to see you. You know Katie already. This is my first time meeting you, but I was, right. I was kind of researching uh, your background and your interests. I found that you're very familiar with the Congregation of Holy Cross. Absolutely, yeah. We've been, been living here in the South Bend area for 10, 11, 12, year, 12 years now. <laughs> <laughs> Counted all up. But yeah, we, we're certainly big fans of the Holy Cross and, and the, the charisms that you guys have to offer. And you have a background in theology and education, both from Notre Dame. I, so the, uh, you have an extensive background with the ACE program too, right? Yep, we did the ACE program. At, so graduated, my wife and I graduated from Miami of Ohio, and then we did the ACE program at the University of Notre Dame. So we were both teachers. Um, I was a teacher in a Catholic school. She was a teacher in a Catholic school. I taught religion and, and social studies and then came back again. At, and for grad school again at Notre Dame for a theology degree as well. And, and we've lived here for a number of years. Jen, my wife, still works at Notre Dame. And I got to work at Ave Maria Press for a number of years across the street from the university um, for a number of years after that, after being at Notre Dame for, for a little while as well. And you've got five children, including a new addition five to the Five kids crew. now. Yeah, four girls. So uh, four girls and then one now youngest is a, is a son. So we mix it up a little bit and uh, um, things are good. How, um, so five kids in the house, and this is maybe not what the Holy Spirit wanted me to ask this question. How are you guys doing with five in the house? What, what's the age range? Our oldest is, is 11 and it goes down to, you know, just a few weeks now, two weeks now. So it's a, it's a nice wide range. Um, but the, the things are great. We actually, it's kind of chaos. I mean, just to add to all the craziness, we decided that it, what a great time to buy it and sell a house. And so we moved <laughs> to a new house around the corner, same neighborhood. And literally, um, the day we signed the papers to sell our old house, we were in the hospital a few hours later. So it was kind of chaos. Um, but we're finally getting settled now after a little stay in the NICU with, with our little one. We're back. Everybody's good. Um, finally unpacking some boxes and, and offices and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, it, it's, been, it's been good, but we're able to, to maintain a little bit of uh, family time along the way, which has been, which has been wonderful. Jared, this intersection between education and faith, maybe how did that first develop or how did you first fall in love with education, um, especially as like a catechist and, and, and speaking to families about um, their role as um, sort of the domestic church, uh, little mm-hmm. churches, communions or communities for, for the sake of making each other holy. Maybe how did that first develop in your life or how did you first notice those gifts within yourself? Yeah, I mean, so like I said before, my wife and I were both teachers in Catholic schools. And so we had that that the faith was a big part of our lives, you know, going into our marriage. And then, you know, really early on when we moved into this area uh, around South Bend, you know, people sometimes call it like the Catholic, um, what is it? Disneyland or yeah, it's like, a, it's a, it's, there's a lot of extra number of Catholics in the area. So we were kind of blessed with a lot of younger families. We, we had our youngest right at, you know, a year after we got married 
and it was just such a blessing because we had so many people around us surrounded by you know, Catholic families in our neighborhoods where we lived in the community at Notre Dame um, in the parishes once we joined the parish so we've been blessed because we've had so many different families that have been a great example to us about how to do this so I, I've got the theology background you know but it's there's always that dynamic of where theology meets you know praxis or practice of the faith and and that's been a um, interesting thing to see how we can uh, practice our faith, live our faith with our kids, especially when they're younger. And now that they're getting older, you know, I've got a middle schooler now and, and seeing that transition has been, has been a journey and, and a great one. Well, and that's, I mean, that leads me to, I think the topic that we really want to unpack is this idea of moms and dads taking the lead on that intersection of, I want to teach my kids manners, but I also want to teach them the faith and like they need to know how to balance a checkbook someday, but I also want them to have a relationship with Jesus Christ mm-hmm. um, and chew with their mouth closed, right? Like mom and dad have a lot to do. Why do you think moms and dads, parents, families, even grandparents or, or aunts and uncles, anyone who's engaged with the raising of children in the home, maybe in the capacity that we think of the cookie cutter domestic church family, or even in the unique ways, why is that something they need to take seriously? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you mentioned this idea of the domestic church, which is a great way. I think that I love the way that the church describes the family, because if you think about the universal church is a family, that's the way that in scripture church is described, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ where, you know, we use terms like father, the son. And so it's about this family. And so as parents, we have the opportunity to to have a little mini church, domestic church, domestic mini home, you know, inside of our, our, uh, our family. And the reason why I think it, Personally, the way, reason why I think it's so important to take it seriously is how much your children um, influence your own faith. But that's kind of mm-hmm. what I didn't expect, you know, because I heard, you know, coming in from this background of theology and religious education as the focus and, and this big emphasis on parents being the primary educators of their children. And what you come to realize is, and I know a lot of parents realize this who are take, bringing their kids to Catholic schools or bringing their kids to religious education. So you come to realize that how much their faith impacts your faith, how much they pull you into the the church. And, you know, like I said, I've got master's degree in theology, but just to have them push me in my own faith journey has been a wonderful, wonderful blessing, whether it's the unique questions that they ask, which are deeply theological, (laughs) or the, the things like my, you know, four-year-old daughter saying during breakfast time, we haven't prayed yet. And usually we don't pray in front of a bowl of cereal because it's kind of chaos. He's like, no, no, you can't eat. We haven't prayed yet. But it's beautiful to see those kind of habits and realize that, oh, that's pushing me a little further in my own personal faith journey as well. Because it's, it's only beneficial to, to my life. And like I said, things are chaotic, but to have those that as a foundation, as a family, has been an incredible blessing during some, some chaos. In my experience at the parish, I can see in the parents' minds as they're the wheels are turning a little bit, some, some sense of fear as their kids go from asking like, what is God's third favorite dinosaur to like, right. <laughs> what is the notion of the Trinity or something like that? Maybe like, as you think about, uh, again, this, the church is, as uh, the family is a domestic church or kind of it's, it's, it's a, a communion of, um, of people to, to make each other holy. just like a marriage, including your children now. Um, what, what do you maybe say to, to parents that, that might say, I'm not an expert on church teaching. I don't have a theology degree. I don't know anything about the catechism. Um, and as their kids come home, they're asking these questions that are, like you said, theologically pretty rich. Um, for those people who aren't an authority on prayer or liturgy, what, what might you say to them? Yeah, and I, that's a very, very common, um, common thing that parents 
struggle with, especially as kid parents that are dedicated, they want to be, you know, bringing their kids to church, they want to be practicing the best they can at home. And this is what I always say to parents as well as the religious educators, because they struggle with this too. They're supposed to be teaching and they don't know all the answers because there's so many questions, there's so many answers, and all of us are going to be continuing to find those answers on our own. I mean, the idea of Christians being a disciple is really important. We, we are disciples. We're not experts. We're not theologians. You know, we are constantly learning ourselves. And if you think about what did Jesus say about children, he said, you know, let the children come to me. He didn't say, teach the children for me. He didn't say, go out and teach them. He said, let them come to me. Mm-hmm. And so when those questions come up, it's an opportunity to say, I'm not sure, but let's go figure it out or let's learn about it together. And, you know, let's go to the Lord together. Um, I, I love that, that dynamic. You know, the, the, the important thing is not so much to have all the answers and to be able to, um, because those conversations come up at the most inopportune times. You're like in the van driving home and you're pulling in the driveway and you get the Trinitarian question, you know, things like that happen. So you're not going to be able to have the perfect answer. And I've often gotten to the point where I'm giving like this theological expression and explanation and the kids are just like, okay, can I go play now? <laughs> you know? Um, it, you know, you, they're going to continue to learn along the way. And it's just great to be on that journey with them. Mm-hmm. It's good to respond in that way because it's not only giving them the answer, but also how to find it. And I think yes. that we often see, and Katie, you would agree too, that like people like to Google stuff, recipes or like why that eclipse is, you know, the moon is this certain way tonight or whatever. When it comes to something about the faith, it's like, well, I don't know what that is. It's stupid. But like taking it a further step and trying mm-hmm. to find the answer and dig and they should show the, what, the, what the resources are. And that's a great response. It's funny. It's, it's amazing because I work with, like I said, I work, work with catechists a lot today. And it's amazing how many of them started that volunteer ministry because they wanted to be able to learn, to, they wanted to be able to learn along with their kids. So they're going and they're volunteering because mm-hmm. they're learning each week when they're preparing their lessons and being able to you know, talk to their own personal children as well about these deep questions about the faith. Well, and it seems that this is even more relevant right now because of, I mean, and it, you can't have a podcast <laughs> that's that's contemporary without mentioning COVID. Mm-hmm. So many parishes are doing, okay, well, you have to do at-home catechesis or virtual catechesis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the there's a pressure, like you said, Father, there's this belief level, the church is taking care of it for me. And the church thinks, oh, well, mom and dad are doing their job. And then you get these uncatechized children who who just don't have anyone that's actually answered it, it almost seems like the dining room table can become in some sense a, a parish hall or, or the, you know, you leave mass and, and you actually have a conversation with your children. If you're able to go to mass wherever you are about what you heard or what you saw or those questions, what are some concrete ways that you and your wife with your five kids from the infant all the way to the middle schooler have maybe, what are some things that you've done, some practices, some practical things in your home that you've, you really like and you want to share with people? Yeah. So one of the things um, we do is just just constantly practicing things like praying, um, praying before meals, praying before bed. Um, you know, those are habits to fall into, and we hold close to those. Um, we, being involved in the parish community has been a big thing for us. Um, so not just thinking about what we can do in habits at home, but just we have a lot of friends with families that are are Catholic and it rubs off on them, you know, and us as well. We see the way that that really faithful parents are parenting and it pushes us to go a little bit further. You know, things that we do at home, we have a lot of um, reminders around the house, uh, whether it's crosses or, you know, Bibles or spiritual books we have around the house to to serve as a reminder and for to just be able to pick up. Um, 
we one of the coolest things, and there's a lot of these out there on Etsy, these little Saint Peg dolls. I don't know if you've mm-hmm. seen them, but my girls have played with these Peg dolls for years. And it's like their favorite thing to play with. They, like they're playing, as they would play, like I used to play with G.I. Joe's when I was, I was yeah. here, they're playing with these Saint dolls in these games, you know, because kids are so creative. And so it's subtle, but it, and I think those things make an impact because, it, you know, the church often talks about evangelizing culture. Mm-hmm. And although that's not like we were doing that intentionally just that's just the way it happened it just became a part of our family house culture we weren't trying to you know beat them over the head with things it just happened to be surrounded by the you know the way we live that that i think makes an impact on them and so we can have those conversations we can have those habits and turning into saints and asking for their intercession and that sort of thing i love that i mean make it natural to the culture of the family that's a that's a really great piece of advice Mm-hmm. I guess like the sharing of the faith in some ways gets challenged as your children grow older and even begin to leave kind of the safety net of the house, begin to hang out with other kids, whether that's sleepover or field trip or whatever. Um, and so, you know, mindful that parents can't control every aspect of their, their children's life. They're natu- the kids are naturally exposed to other ways of thinking, other faith traditions, expectations from, from different families. Um, and, and there seems to be kind of a delicate balance there between our own sharing, our faith, our morals, our values, and expectations with our kids, while still allowing them to to experience different ways of thinking and other beliefs and other values. Maybe what's what's what advice would you give to parents who are struggling with that balance? Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that um, the challenge that that I I think all parents have to deal with, whether it is toddlers or, or as they get older, especially in different ways, is you know they're children of God, and we of course are their parents, but you know, if you look at the lives of the saints, there are so many stories of saints whose parents had a very a negative influence on their faith because they had certain plans for what they were going to be. Like St. Francis, for example, of Assisi, probably the most famous, like his dad was a business owner, entrepreneur, had this plan for St. Francis to what he was going to be to the point where it became, where St. Francis, you know the story, he had to basically publicly disown his dad in front of the whole community because there was such that strong holding back. And it's money, if you look at all these, these saints stories, so many of these saints, they have parents who wanted them to get married or parents that wanted them to be inheriting the, their, um, their land, their state, et cetera. And, and so many of them, because they had that calling, um, had to, to kind of push against that you know, goal that the parents had for them. And I find that myself as well in, in different ways. Like I have a certain... I want the kids to do nitpicky things and I'm afraid to let go of that control mm-hmm. and I might get angry with them. And then I, I hear almost word for word exactly when I, that anger is being back to each other in certain ways. And the same thing happens for kids as they get older into high school and then in college, you know, every person is going to have some t- moment where they are pushing back a little bit on their faith or exploring questions and, you know, looking into different um, religions or whatever, just to kind of study things. Um, and it's, you can be wanting to like hold back or like shelter them. But I think St. Monica is a great example. I know we always look to her as a great example of a parent of a saint, but, but here she was, if you know the whole story, we know St. Monica prayed for Augustine to become the saint. St. Monica was praying and praying and praying, but, but if you look at the story in detail, what happens when St. Augustine first comes home after being kind of a scholar, he comes home and he has a child, an illegitimate son on the way. St. Monica's mad. She kicks him out of the house. Like at first she was going to like disown him, separate him him from the family. But then she has this realization, this vision of him being this holy, you know, bishop, saint. And she, she completely transitions. She completely changes. And instead she welcomes him back with mercy. She welcomes him back from the home. 
He tries to leave. He flees up to Italy and leaves, and then she has to go follow him. And then again, for 17 years, she stays close to him and as close as she can to him, even though everything he's doing is opposed to what she has in mind for what he should be. And I think that that long journey, um, and to read St. Augustine talk about that after his conversion and, and um, in the confessions, it's just beautiful because um, she was able to, to parent with mercy, even though she was upset about the way her son was living and the way her son was exploring things. So she didn't try to control him. Instead, she prayed. And not only that, she was as close as she possibly could to him. She didn't disown him. She didn't kick him out. She didn't separate herself. She was, she was as close as possible. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a great lesson for parents, especially as kids get older, is not to push the kids away because of your anger, but to, to sh- show them mercy, not to allow them to do whatever they want, but to show them the mercy and love as, as well as uh, the expectations that you have for them on the way they should be living their lives. Yeah. When I think if you talk to young adult Catholics today, especially millennials, right? Um, and Father Dennis and I are both millennials. It, like if you look at our peers, we're disaffiliating faster than anybody else. And some would argue it's because of not a rigidity of faith, but of a, of a lack of, well, I don't want to answer that question. I want to have a conversation with you. I don't even want to hear your perspective, which is kind of the thing my generation is known for, right? Like we want to make sure that you know what we think. And so I love that, that encouragement of you bring them closer, you stick around with them. It's, it's very road to Emmaus, right? Jesus let them answer all these questions in the wrong way before he actually taught them. Um, Jared, at the end of every episode, we like to share what we have hope for. And I think it's perfect because I think in this conversation, we're all expressing a great amount of hope for parents to to do better or to find new ways to share and express the faith. Uh, so we'll start with you kind of springing it on you. But what do you have hope for this week? Yeah, for this week. I mean, I... <laughs> um, or in, in general. general. Yeah, just in general. I mean, you've talked about the the pandemic and the quarantining and all that. And I think there's a lot of negativity around that, but I think I'm really. Oh, we muted you. You muted. Unmute. Unmute. Let's start that again. Sorry. <laughs> I was just saying, I'm hopeful for what um, what can come out of this for the church. I know that things are difficult, especially for parishes. People aren't coming into the parish. The dispensation is there. But as you said, it's an opportunity for parents to practice the faith at home, um, mm-hmm. to rediscover ways they can use practices at home. Um, so I think that's kind of exciting opportunity for the church to be able to, you know, coach those families this year, be with those families at a distance, to be able to figure out what are the habits we can develop at home and being able to support them rather than just educate them as they come into the classroom. So, you know, for this week, it's just getting things moved into the house and <laughs> packing boxes and, you know, getting through the week. <laughs> Absolutely. I get that. Father Dennis, what do you have hope for? Well, I'm still continuing to pray for those continue, um, continuing to rebuild from, from Hurricane Laura. And I, Katie, you can speak to this. I know your family's been affected in really big ways. Um, but um, yeah, not only for the rebuild itself, but also, as you mentioned, the crisis that was already on our hands with COVID. I know that in a particular way, faith can be challenged during these times. So um, for those people who are in need of material, um, basic basic necessities, um, keeping them in prayer and um, and um, yeah, hoping to uplift them by 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 intercession at mass, and we pray for them today. Uh, this um, I just got, came back from a dorm mass today, uh, and not all. So uh, we pray for those families who are in need, but also in the ways that they're challenging their faith during these times. I'm um, just for the gift of hope, and um, praying that our communities can bind together in, a, in, in very concrete ways and be the hands of Christ uh, for these folks during this time. But 
Katie, I don't know, you, you want to take a second and tell us too how your family... Yeah, it's so weird because it's like been our reality for, I don't even know, what day this, did we evacuate? The 25th of August, I think. Time has kind of stopped and it was already kind of stopped because of COVID. But um, yeah, this category, well, it started as a tropical storm kind of off the coast of I don't even know where, became a category four storm in a matter of about a week. Um, mandatory evacuations, the town has fled. It's part of life in Southwest Louisiana. You have your, your preparedness stuff, you're ready to go. My husband's from Pennsylvania, so it was the first time he'd ever done it and baptism by fire. Um, it's, you kind of learn what to do through osmosis. And so I was able to you know, give him the directions because I'm also nine months pregnant. So it was a fun little challenge to throw into the ringer of, we're about to have a baby. We're about to start all the school stuff to get us back into a normal routine. Oh, here's a storm. That was the, uh, the largest storm to ever hit the coast of Louisiana. Um, and in the first couple of days after the storm, you're just kind of in a, okay, is our house okay? Do we have a roof? Did things flood? What is gone in town? Um, and you go through a roller coaster of emotions, both a moment of, oh, thank God my house is still there. Oh gosh, it'll be weeks before we have power. We can't go home. Then you go through survivor's guilt, like my house is okay. Or you go through, like I have some friends who lost everything and they're actually kind of relieved. They're like, we just get to start over fresh. Like we don't have to try to salvage anything. We can just gut the whole thing and demo it. And then they're hit with the realization of, okay, but we're homeless for a little while. So it's just, I have a lot of hope that the people of Southwest Louisiana who are resilient people, um, and we've learned this in the past few days. I have a lot of hope that uh, not only will we be okay, but that the world will actually come to see a tiny little corner of our state um, that has a beautiful, beautiful Catholic faith. Every parish in our diocese was affected, 39 parishes. Every single one had damage of some sort, six or total demos. They'll have to be completely demolished and destroyed. None of the schools will be able to open. We have to raise about $9 million to meet our deductible for our insurance. I mean, it's a big task. And literally on day one, our bishop was boots on the ground going to check out places. The nuns were cleaning up debris. The priests are in their collars and their work boots and they're out there helping people. There's this great story of a, of a dear priest friend of mine. He had an extra chainsaw. So he was just chainsawing the trees and people's driveways so they could get up to go clear the debris so they could see if their house was okay. So I have a lot of hope that people will see those good stories and know that we're gonna be okay. We still need your help. We still need your money. We still need you to send water. We still are praying for power to come back on soon, but it's, there's, there's great hope. Yeah, I've, I've got a great hope for that. So Jared, where can we find out more about you and what you're doing and where to get your books? Yeah, sure. So the main website that I have is called thereligionteacher.com. That's where I create resources for religious educators, catechists, religion teachers. I, I've written a number of books for Abbey Mirror Press, mostly focused on helping that group of, of catechists, religion teachers, um, most recent one is called Christ in the Classroom, about how to increase encounters in the class, not just um, lectures and lessons, but uh, how you help them experience the faith in the classroom. Um, so yeah, theReligionTeacher.com, and then available, of course, also on all kinds of social media platforms. Awesome. Well, we will point people there in the show notes. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jared. Thank Ave Spotlight is a podcast from Ave Maria Press. You can find all of our episodes over at AveMariaPress.com. Click on the free resources button and you'll find our webpage, as well as subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Since this is a fairly new podcast, we are hopeful and, and grateful um, for reviews that our listeners will give it to help more folks find the show um, and listen to these Monday morning conversations between 
uh, a priest and a mom about what's going on in the world and topics relevant to faithful everyday Catholics. You can also find our other Ave Maria Press podcast, Ave Explorers, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, as well as the Ave Maria Press website. As always, we're grateful for all that you do and how you support Ave Maria Press, especially by listening to these shows that we are creating. We hope you have a great week.